Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. This time, the no-confidence vote in Boris Johnson, which he has survived by a rather slim margin, 211 votes to 148. Conservative MPs were voting on his future. If Johnson had lost, he would have been replaced, of course, by another Tory MP as Prime Minister. Backbenchers like Jeremy Hunt seem to have thrown their hat into the ring. We're going to be joined by Adam Bienkoff, who is the Byline Times political and Westminster correspondent, Sam Bright, the Byline Times chief investigations reporter, and Jeevan Sander, economist and political commentator from King's College London. I've also invited a couple of Conservative MPs and one or two from the opposition benches to join in. So let's see what happens. Before that, though, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are supported by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. We report without fear or favour and tread where the mainstream media fears to go. You get more information at bylinetimes.com. That's our news-breaking website. That's at bylinetimes.com. Let's start with Sam Bright, Byline Times Chief Investigations Reporter. And uh, Sam, a narrow victory. Boris Johnson survives. Just... Exactly. Just about. I think it's worse um, than many people were predicting. Um, I heard a few people about an hour ago speculating that it might be just above 100 MPs um, voting no confidence in the prime minister. It's turned out that it's 148 MPs, which is roughly 42 percent of Tories. Um, which is a really that's a really significant number that's nearly double um, the conservative majority in the House of Commons. Um, so Boris Johnson will be pretty nervous, I think, and um, I don't think this has settled the question of his leadership remotely. Adam Bienkoff joins us, the Byline Times Westminster and political correspondent, hot foot from the uh, the 1922 committee. So Boris Johnson has survived, Adam. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg said that if he survived by only one vote, that would be enough to keep him as Prime Minister. This margin of 63, I mean, it's a clear victory, but when you're looking for backing from your party, it's hardly a resounding vote of confidence in him, is it? Well, yes, I mean, it's worth saying Jacob Rees-Mogg, when Theresa May, uh, a third of her MPs voted against her in 2018, he said that it was a clear sign that she should stand down and she did so in, in several months this is actually significantly worse than that worse result for boris johnson tonight um 42 roughly of his mps voted against him um it's, and bearing in mind that there's 160 to 170 payroll mps uh that will be pretty much counted to to back him that's a huge result it means he's lost a large chunk of his of his backbenches and it's it's quite difficult to see how he can recover from this now yeah, and when you say these are people who are bankrolled by the government, we're talking about people who are in cabinet positions, people who are who maybe yeah, so just parliamentary private secretaries. So cabinet, who are cabinet ministers, ministers. Yeah, so cabinet, basically people whose whose job depends on him remaining as prime minister. Um, obviously, not all of those would have voted for prime minister. We don't know. It was a it was a secret ballot. So, in the privacy of the the voting booth, they may some of them may well have voted against him. Um, but this. It, always in this situation, it's, it's it, the prime minister has an inbuilt advantage, and you would expect them to win it. And um, but what what we've seen from previous votes is that although 
Prime Ministers normally win these votes of confidence. They don't normally survive it. So Theresa May was out within months of when of her vote, even though she got more support from MPs than Boris Johnson did tonight. Um, and the, uh, if you look at other recent examples, to, uh, there aren't any examples of anyone actually going on to, to win win a general election after suffering one of these no, one of these confidence votes. So it looks very bad for Boris Johnson. He clearly doesn't have the support of, of his his party. Um, if there had been a completely free vote and it wasn't that he wasn't relying on his payroll vote, I think he probably would have lost tonight. But he came very close, and we still have um, the Privileged Committee investigating the Prime Minister and some. Some Conservative rebels spoke to today suggested that we could have this vote all over again in September when the Privileged Committee reports. Yes, although under the current rules, he's supposed to get a 12-month period of grace, isn't he, once there's been a no-confidence That's right, yes. And he survived it. So they'd have to change the rules. That's right, exactly, yes. Um, So yes, we could be going uh, this all again um, by then. Uh, or, or he could come under more political pressure from his cabinet to resign, given the, the, the scale of the result here, which is far higher rebellion against him than we predicted even um, by some of the most of the rebels uh, considered rebels as well as the uh, the government as well who predicted uh, most briefings you know this was very much at the higher end of what they they expected that he would suffer yeah let's bring in uh, Jeevan Sanders I say uh, Jeevan is an economist at King's College London Jeevan to what extent do you think that the the narrow victory that Johnson achieved uh, and the problems that he now faces are down to party gate and to what extent are they down to the cost of living crisis which must be affecting the constituents of many red wall conservative mps i think mostly it's party gate i mean party gate is what has ended boris johnson's premiership boris johnson's premiership didn't end tonight it ended when the Allegra strata video was released at that point around 60 percent of the public wanted boris johnson to resign that number has not changed at all people did feel a real sense of revulsion and disgust that has only gotten worse through time we saw of course the booze at the platinum jubilee probably constitute a few minds of conservative mps and a real reminder of the fact that yes the queen sat there alone during her husband's funeral but boris johnson felt he had to lead parties to keep morale up inside number 10. But look, those numbers have not changed the Lego Strasser video, certainly not at all to the extent that suggests how much the kind of political news cycle keeps changing. Yes, Boris Johnson has done whatever he could do to survive the next week and extend the news cycle, but the numbers you want him to resign hasn't changed. The Conservative MPs have clearly reacted to that. You know, they want to keep their job as much as everyone else does. And they're looking at those numbers going, you know what, this guy's not going to keep me in my job. If we think about other people have got, you know, defenestrated from office, the real kind of prime example here is Nixon. You know, when Nixon was kicked out of office, it wasn't because of, of what he had done in one sense. It was because the public immediately turned against him. Around two-thirds of the public then wanted Nixon to go. That's the Republican Party said to him, actually, it's time for you to go. Compare that to Trump. You know, what Trump did in his impeachment trials Far, far worse. The Republicans did not act. Why was that? Because the public or enough of the public remained with him. So the public left Boris Johnson a long time ago, and that is what has ended Boris Johnson's premiership. But Sam, the cost of living crisis is very real. And the pain of increasing energy prices in particular, but rising food prices and so on as well, 
must be chipping away at the Conservatives. And I know that Johnson, when he addressed MPs today, he was talking about tax cuts next week and a recovery package. Mm. There is some economics mixed into all of this. There is definitely. And I think you saw a bit of that today in particular um, when Jesse Norman, Conservative MP, um, came out to, to say that he was calling for Johnson to go. Um, there was a suggestion from him that not only was it Partygate, but also he just didn't have faith. And I think this signals the trend among a lot of Conservative MPs. They simply don't have the faith that Boris Johnson has what it takes to solve these big issues facing the country. You know, a few of which he has created, um, at least in part, but that he just simply doesn't have the public policy chops, the appetite, um, you know, the stomach to, to pull through these big changes um, that might help people out with the cost of living or might, you know, uh, solve the Northern Ireland uh, protocol dilemma over Brexit and, um, you know, that might end up might, might end up seeing the high produ- productivity, high wage economy that he promised at the last Conservative Party conference. I think there's a sort of a gradual realisation within the Conservative Party that um, we're not seeing this version of Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson the reformer. All, all we've seen over recent months is Boris Johnson the clown. Jeevan, uh, Brexit is... Uh... A factor, at least in the eyes of many opponents of the Conservative Party and of Boris Johnson, isn't it? And it is difficult to accurately disentangle the impact of Brexit on the economy relative to, for example, COVID, isn't it? Well, I mean, Brexit certainly will be damaging and far more damaging in the long term. It has added to our kind of own inflation in the UK, but certainly it's not the primary driver as things stand. One of the problems we have with Brexit from the economic side of things is that it's obvious we're getting poorer, but it's not so dramatic as to kind of be the singular moment you can turn around. Your prices are slightly higher here than on the continent. On the political side of it, though, I mean, Boris Johnson, in one sense, his real problem is that in the minds of the voters, he got Brexit done. You know, Brexit was an existential question for this country. Voters are willing to give their leaders a lot of doubt when it's an existential question and they did so and once Brexit was seen to be done actually Boris Johnson's own foibles and shortfalls became a lot less kind of forgivable by the public so look Brexit's making us a lot poorer and the irony of Boris Johnson will be getting Brexit done is also one thing that put the nail in his premiership there was one less reason to keep him around also another reason by the way he keeps trying to bang on that drum over and over again as in he, he constantly references Brexit, yeah. Uh, Adam, uh, it's, throughout my political life, as it were, or throughout my life observing British politics, the two main parties, Labour and Conservative, have had within them divisions, kind of intrinsic, fundamental divisions and we've seen that with the Labour Party and with Corbyn and mm. you know the if, if you like the the left of the party in the Conservative Party there has always been for if you like centrist Conservative MPs whether it was John Major or David Cameron this fringe on the right and it's it's that fringe on the right which is now if you like become the dominant part of the Conservative Party but as this mm. whole question of Johnson's survival has made clear those divisions still remain in the Conservative Party as to whether it should be an ideologically driven 
party or or kind of more of a one nation conservatism they do, although it is worth saying that when it comes to this vote, um, this wasn't one faction of the party trying to oust the Prime Minister over another faction. Yeah, if you look at the Conservative MPs who publicly called for him to quit or called for a vote of no confidence, they came pretty evenly from both the Brexit wing of the party and the Remain wing of the party. So in some respects, he's kind of Boris Johnson has united a large chunk of his party against him. Um, so this wasn't, you know, uh, certainly in the past, I mean, for Theresa May, that was the big divide, without a doubt. But it's, I think, in, in some respects, the party is, uh, the question of Brexit, with, with one or two exceptions, um, Tobias Elwood this week calling for the UK to go back into the single market. I mean, he's very much an outlier there. The actual question of Brexit is pretty much settled with Conservative MPs, um, even if it's not, you know, quite settled amongst the general public. I know that uh, Steve McCabe, the Labour MP for Birmingham, Selly Oak, is listening. And uh, Steve, if you do want to join in the conversation, it would be great to have you on. Just tap the microphone on the bottom left-hand corner of your smartphone and we will uh, let you in and let you uh, have your say. Adam, in terms of uniting the Conservative Party against him, I mean, the fact remains that Johnson has won. And if we look at history, as you say, Margaret Thatcher was ousted not long after winning a vote of confidence. Likewise, Theresa May. John May just stayed on to fight an election. Mm. He was buried in a in a landslide. But th- these things are not inevitable, can they? And and politicians can write their own futures to an extent. Yes, of course. You know, and you should, and there there are there are not that many. Uh, sort of prior examples here so there's sort of you know you, you cannot say for certain what, what will happen but if you look at what's coming up we've got the the cost of living crisis uh, it's only going to get worse but by-elections coming up which uh, there's two polls out this week the Wakefield by-election suggesting that the Labour are set to win by 20 plus points um, things don't look like they're going there's going to be many opportunities for things to improve for the Conservative Party. But of course, things do come up. Um, We have the possibility that the uh, Durham police could fine the Labour leader Keir Starmer for his attendance uh, at an event during uh, the pandemic. Uh, If that that were to happen, he is committed to standing down. Um, Could that change the dynamic? Could Labour um, select somebody who is less not that Starmer is, is massively popular with the electorate, but somebody who's less opinion to electorate. Could that help Johnson survive? Possibly. But, I mean, just talking to Conservative MPs from, from all sort of wings of the party, there are very few who actually believe that he's likely to lead them into the next general election, even if they think that now isn't the the right time uh, to, to, to change. Um, so, yes, you know, nothing in politics is certain. But I think if you look at the historical president it's it's hard to find any examples of a prime minister in a position that the that Boris Johnson is managing to turn it round and particularly when he's when as I say the the scale of the rebellion he suffered today is is pretty much without pres- precedent in recent history yeah Sam Bright uh, John uh, Sam Bright let me bring you in on this comment that John McDonnell MP has made he says it's the worst result possible for the country the best result possible for the Labour Party uh, <laughs> Boris Johnson no confidence vote Prime Minister wins by 211 248 and I, I certainly am aware of a, a sentiment uh, amongst some Labour supporters that Johnson staying on is a good thing for Labour because he will be seen as a, a lamed up Prime Minister uh, yeah, definitely. And I think the Conservative Party as a whole um, tagging themselves onto Johnson's mess. I think that 
there will be quite a strong feeling and that that's what they've done through this confidence vote. You know, you can you can picture the Labour adverts now, can't you? And that that say that Tory MPs have backed a prime prime minister who broke broke the law, and that gives Labour the ability to roll those adverts out. Um, not least in these by elections, as Adam says, coming up in in a matter of days, but also um, at the next general election, if um, if Boris Johnson does survive, I, I think it's I think it's really interesting and and something that. Uh, none of us are quite sure of, but how how sticky this will be in the sense that will voters eventually forget about Partygate and this rule breaking? You know, we've all tried to suppress the memory of the pandemic to some extent um, and give it a couple of years, for example. Will Boris be able to rekindle his aura to some extent? I think that's really an unknown and um, perhaps it's the longer it goes on with Boris Johnson's um, uh, leadership polls tanking, um, the more likely it becomes that the party will will then will then ditch him because that question will have been answered. Yeah, uh, he will be uniquely privileged in that he will have the support of some very powerful newspapers in this country. That's a privilege that would not have been extended, for example, to Jeremy Corbyn, wouldn't even be extended to Keir Starmer, wouldn't even be extended to, say, Theresa May, a Conservative MP who was not particularly well-loved by some of the right-wing tabloids. But you know that The Sun, you know that The Daily Mail, you know that The Telegraph are all going to be hammering this message of move on, and you know he's he's led us through the pandemic. Is uh, you know he he couldn't be held responsible for what happened in the pandemic, but he's led us through with a vaccination program and so on. Let's all move on. So mm. he, he does have that advantage, doesn't he? That that very few politicians would have. He does, and hopefully that just uh, collapses popular uh, readership of the rags as well. Um, hopefully they all go down in uh, in the bonfire. Um, but well, I'm I, wishful thinking on your part. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, you know, tonight I'm full of optimism, Adrian. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, again, we're playing counterfactuals, but, you know, let's see whether a right-wing contender emerges strongly. You know, this might have um, uh, caused a few to have scented blood in the water this evening. Um, I mean, as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Jeremy Hunt certainly staked his claim, I think, this will tie a lot of Tory MPs flags to the mast and um, we can only expect the infighting to continue. And as a result, I think um, you'll see people coming out of the woodwork and perhaps there'll be a, a candidate that's more palatable to the right wing press in the coming weeks and months. Who knows? Mm. Juven, you said that his prime ministership was over really at the time of the Allegra, Allegra Strassen video. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to play the game of, that some political commentators do of giving Johnson great credit for his durability, his ability, uh, his Teflon-like ability to uh, manage to let all this stuff slide off him. But the fact remains that he is a very good survivor, isn't he? Well, is he though? I mean, this thing happened in November. He certainly got lucky in terms of the timing, in terms of, you know, the Sue Gray report was supposed to come out and then we had the Met intervention. But when the Sue Gray report did come out, which to be fair, Conservative MPs did say they were going to wait for, all of a sudden the dominoes have fallen, as we've seen today, incredibly quickly. I'm I'm somewhat reticent to buy into the myth 
and the myth of Boris Johnson that he has built. It's certainly true he won election in London, but against a kind of an unpopular opponent. The same was true when he became prime minister, the most unpopular Labour leader of modern time. So I think he has been lucky, certainly. But when we look at what's happened here, and look, we spoke there about the the right-wing press. One thing that's remarkable is also to some extent how little effect that seems to have had on public opinion and indeed on the Conservative Party, which is what you'd usually expect and is what you'd kind of usually expect to be the case. That's certainly not been the case here. Um, So look, he got another six months longer than he may have got otherwise, but otherwise, at the end of it all, it was all decided back then and the British public have certainly not changed their mind. I think every revelation has been worse. Uh, He talked about tax cuts, he talked about a recovery plan, Given the difficulties facing the economy and the fact of the war in Ukraine, how much room for manoeuvre economically has he got? He's got a lot of room for manoeuvre. I mean, look, at the moment, you know, our cost of living package here, we're talking about another 15 billion at this most recent round. We should remember that during COVID, we spent 400 billion. You know, we got this country to a once this century pandemic, we could certainly get us through a once in a lifetime cost of living crisis. Well, if you look at that package and, you know, in political terms, in one sense, yes, targeting help for the most vulnerable, not enough, by the way, especially for those with children, maybe just enough for pensioners, but for those in the middle income who are also struggling, 40% unable to say 40% coming back on food and 40% struggling with their energy bills. That's before the most recent kind of continuing price rises. Not a lot there for them, only £200. So actually, Boris Johnson did have a lot of room for manoeuvre on the economic side. On the politics side, one problem he has always had, has had a chancellor who didn't want to spend much money at all and has been stuck with him for rather a long time, I think rather a lot longer than he would have liked. In Rishi Sunak? In Rishi Sunak, yes. Yeah, I mean, Sunak is seen very much as a financial hawk, isn't he? He's not a a man to dig deep into the coffers unless he has to. I mean, in fairness, there was what some people regard as a reasonably generous COVID package, though it did depend what sectors and what industry you worked in. And, of course, it was very generous if you were a PPE provider with no track record of providing PPE. But, you know, it was seen as he, he did respond to the moment, at least, in that. But his instincts are are much drier, I think, than Johnson's economically. Yeah, I think that's completely fair to say. You know, Rishi is a near Wasbonite. He wants a small state. He wants low taxes and low spending. It sometimes feels like he kind of got the monkey paw, you know, said I wants to be chancellor, and the irony is he had to do the things that were completely, he was completely opposed to ideologically, and that's the only way he could kind of be popular. So it's certainly true he is in that mould. And also, look, because we've had 10 years of spending cuts, it's not just the case that kind of the country has changed in terms of us needing so much more investment, but also public opinion has changed as well. Public opinion is now moved to a point where I go, actually, we need to increase social security payments, not reduce them. We need to increase spending and not reduce it. Rishi Sunak's instincts, if you like, do not fit into the mould of 2022. And to some extent, and how George Osmond could sell it in 2010. You know, everyone sees the paucity of the British state nowadays. So that is unfortunate for Rishi Sunak. That's where he sits today. In a putative leadership election, I suspect he might be a little bit stuck trying to both placate his ever conservative backbenchers. And if he was to win, which I'm sceptical of, but if he was to win, then how to pitch it to the public to be victorious at the next election. Yeah, well, Sunak's obviously been damaged by the non-dom row involving his wife as well, hasn't he? 
Yeah, certainly. So it kind of fit into kind of an ideal around it. But I think the, the biggest mistake he made kind of there as well as otherwise is, is not displaying a level of political now and political skill. You know, when some of the party gates started to break and we know that Boris Johnson had to give a statement in the common, Rishi Sunak waits seven to eight hours to reply and says, I couldn't possibly tweet. Of course he could have, but he waited and he forgot Machiavelli's dictum, right? Either you attack someone and you destroy them or you don't hit them at all. Rishi Sunak ended up somewhere in the middle. That was his time to go. He didn't go. Similarly, the non-dom status, he could have owned the moment and said, actually, guys, this is what happened. But he didn't. It was incredibly thin-skinned response. And so really kind of more about his political instinct rather than the facts of what happened. Think about compare and contrast to Boris Johnson. You know, he spoke to as being durable. In one sense, he does have a thick enough high to get through these scandals in far as his own mind is concerned. Adam, where do we go from here? You've mentioned the Privileges Committee and they've had to sit on their hands because of the various police investigations, waiting mm. to Gray's report. But now the Privileges Committee can have a look at Boris Johnson. So just explain what they will do and, and why that is significant. Yeah, so they're um, due to meet uh, tomorrow. Uh, this inquiry um, is, is likely to conclude by September. Um, they're looking at whether or not the Prime Minister misled the House of Commons. Um, some Conservative rebels believe that this is actually the biggest risk to the Prime Minister, um, regardless of whether there's a no-confidence vote. If he is found to uh, have misled, deliberately misled the, the House of Commons, as I think it's fairly clear that he did, um, then he would be expected under his own ministerial code to resign. Of course, it is only a convention and he, he may choose to ignore that but I think that that would be I think if that were the case and he did refuse to resign even if the previous committee had found that he'd misled the House of Commons in, in, intentionally then I think there would be a move then to change the rules and I think he would be ousted um, there's going to be lots of I, I, we've got to this point now there's 42% of Conservative MPs, a majority of backbench Conservative MPs voting against him. I don't think this is going to be the end of it. Uh, we're likely to see some resignations potentially from the government benches over the coming days. I think Conservative MPs aren't simply going to fold now. The Conservative MPs who are opposed to his leadership, I think they're going to be trying lots of different mechanisms to get rid of him. And there's going to be a war of attrition over the, the coming months, both in the with the Privileged Committee, but also with moves by Conservative MP to try and persuade the cabinet to to move against him as well. So I, th I think this this doesn't end tonight. This goes on for some months to come, and um, I think eventually either he's going to be forced out or he's likely to, to go into an election where I think the the Conservatives are overwhelmingly likely to to lose their majority if he remains as the prime minister. Yeah, if, if he's found to have misled Parliament, the, the key question is whether he's knowingly misled mm. Parliament. And he already, as Prime Minister, I mean, ironically, in this bizarre uh, sort of unwritten constitution that we have, he already had discretion to say, actually, the minister concerned, i.e. him, doesn't have to resign. And he's he's now kind of formalised that, hasn't he? But again, it, it would just, I suppose, well, be another wouldn't it be it, it, the, the penny resting on the ledge would finally be pushed over perhaps i mean he has formalized it but but there is still 
the provision in the ministerial code that if you have knowingly misled the House of Commons, then you are expected to resign. Um, but yes, ultimately it would be a decision for him. But as I say, if it got to that point, I think there would be further moves against him by Conservative MPs, um, especially as it's now clear quite how large a percentage of the Conservative MPs are intent on getting rid of him before the general election. I think it's normally likely that, that a way will be found one way or another to get rid of him before the next general election, particularly if we start getting some really bad election results, as we, it looks like we're likely to do in these upcoming by-elections in Wakefield and, and Tiverton, losing to the... I mean, at the moment, a, a large part of the rebellion against Boris Johnson has come from Conservative MPs who are going up against Liberal Democrats. If they start losing seats uh, like Wakefield to Labour and one poll this week saying that they like to lose it by 20 points, then that's going to spook a lot more Conservative MPs, including some who didn't vote against him uh, tonight. So I think, you know, whichever way you, you cut it, uh, things are looking on a downward uh, trajectory for the Prime Minister. Yeah, and uh, Sam, you recently wrote a book or recently published a book called Fortress London, and it's about the domination of London relative to the rest of the UK. And Johnson arrived in Downing Street with his levelling up agenda. Whilst these rows are going on, these internal rows within the Conservative Party, these really serious issues, as well as those that we've addressed, like Brexit and the cost of living crisis, do not occupy the full focus of the man in Downing Street whose job it is to solve those problems. No, not at all. I mean, the, the whole levelling up agenda is is cooked, it's toast. Um, I wrote a piece recently saying that um, it's, it's, it's dead in a desert of ideas. And I think um, we've just come to see that that is um, Boris, Johnson, Boris Johnson's modus operandi, that um, he doesn't have he doesn't have the willpower, and I think this was ultimately the the thing that was going to find him out um, was the policy um, aspect. He obviously was very good at winning the elections on three word slogans. You know, he won the EU referendum on three word slogan. He did it uh, three years later in two thousand and nineteen. But the the question was whether he could substantiate those slogans. Um, and it's become perfectly apparent now um, to lots of Conservative MPs that that he can't. And I think lots of them are thinking, why? well, for one, why would we just have power for power's sake? Um, that seems a bit silly um, to the ideological Conservatives. And then on the other hand, you have the power-hungry Conservatives who look like they might lose their seats. So he's not placating anybody at this moment in time. Um, in combination, he's threatening civil servants and saying that he's going to get rid of tens of thousands of them. Um, obviously, lots of them have been targeted within Downing Street with fines. So they've had their noses pushed out of joint. And you can't see any other route for the government other than further cultural chaos over the, the coming months. And um, yeah, I, I just feel sorry for the people who will be targeted with that campaign. Yeah, but uh, you think of big schemes like HS2, which are still, I mean, we, we are progressing as we understand with HS2, which is, I suppose, one of these levelling up measures, even though it wasn't introduced by the Conservatives, but it has been backed to a degree mm. by this government. I mean, you just you just wonder how much 
of that will be delivered. I mean, it's already been a severely truncated, uh, hasn't it? Leeds has been missed out by HS2, for example. And you just think, well, if there are further financial pressures, will it get further reduced? And I think it's the political pressures as well on on lots of the government's um, spending promises. I think they've probably set enough of the HS2 train in motion, so to speak, that it will in its current form go ahead but don't quote me on that adrian but i think <laughs> i think i think as adam says that this this um this dynamic with lots of seats in the south um where the constituency of vote is much more libertarian liberal sort of soft tory you know not 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 um left-wing inclined remotely once those seats start falling to the liberal democrats um, there'll be there'll be a lot of pressure put on um, the prime minister and the government as, as a whole, uh, as we've seen in recent months, to sort of water down or dilute or extend the levelling up agenda beyond its initial remit, which was to rebalance um, uh, parts of the country that had been left behind for for generations. I mean, the, it's staggering the Tiverton um, polls, the fact that it looks like the Conservatives are going to lose that. I mean, I know it's it's um, the the MP who stood down. Obviously, there was a scandal surrounding him, but um, he won sixty percent of the local votes at the last election, and the the Liberal Democrats ranked in at fifteen percent um, in third place. That that I, I think there are huge seismic changes taking place to the Conservative votes in the south of the country um, that were perhaps um, downplaying currently. Um, even despite recent by-election results where they've got quite a lot of coverage. I think there's a massive reorientation taking place and we might see the Conservative agenda follow uh, that political landscape. Some very interesting comments coming up on social media. This is on Twitter. Maybe you want to comment on some of these, Jeevan. Uh, Rory Stewart, of course, uh, former Conservative MP, saying uh, remove the payroll vote and look at the free vote from backbenchers. Almost 75% of all Tory MPs not dependent on his patronage voted against him. This is the end for Boris Johnson. The only question is how long the agony is prolonged. <laughs> he is, it's fair to say, Jeeve, a long-time opponent of Boris Johnson, but even so, it's, uh, he puts it in quite a crisp way there. He does indeed, and also we should remember that Boris Johnson did, after all, get rid of lots of Conservative MPs who opposed him before, so this you should expect to be kind of the most loyal cohort you could expect to have for him, and still a huge amount of drawback and blowback from his own side, as certainly they're also self-interested. And also there's kind of, I suppose, also a broader point here, which is because Boris Johnson did not just choose people who were completely loyal to him to his cabinet, but also were deliberately less competent. They were more, far more dependent upon him. You know, one question about why this has lasted so long is that actually there was no one to lead a cabinet rebellion because Boris Johnson deliberately chose ministers who were weaker and less competent. You know, Nadine Doris is not someone I would have ever expected to be a cabinet minister. And yet that's where he got to. So in some sense, it uh, did get him this far, but obviously clearly a huge amount of upset and anger on those conservative benches. Incredible prediction, by the way, from John Tong, University of Liverpool political commentator. That's not his job. He's an academic at the University of Liverpool. But he said that the vote would be 59% in favour of Johnson, 41% no confidence. He called it absolutely spot on. That's impressive, isn't it? 
That's very good. Well done, John Tong. I've uh, I've worked with John on the radio before. That's uh, that's brilliant stuff. So, Jeevan, I'm going to put you on the spot. Then, how long do you think Boris Johnson has got? Oh, that's a good question. I think you know we were talking probably about months. He's going to drag this out until the bitter end. I think that's pretty clear pretty clear from what he has said so i think it's going to be a pretty unpleasant few months until at the very least kind of conservative MPs might need to change that rule book i don't see a, a world in which boris johnson stands up tomorrow and resigns as it's clear that he's lost the confidence of his party he was like tomorrow morning when he pulls out the podium and resigns but i don't see that happening i think he's going to drag it out as long as he possibly can yeah that's the form isn't it adam what about you yeah, it's difficult to say. I mean, uh, looking at precedent, Theresa May was out within six months after she got a, a better result than Boris Johnson has got tonight. Um, we do have these by-elections coming up. I think it could take longer than than it took with Theresa May, simply because he doesn't seem to have much in the way of obvious shame, um, and he's, he's he's quite he seems to be quite willing to to carry on in as you say until the the bitter end. Um, but I think possibly the the sort of the obvious crunch point will be in September um, after we get that privileges committee investigation result. Um, I think he's likely out by the end of the year, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Sam, what do you think then? How long do you give Johnson? Oh, it is a tricky one. I think Adam's right. By the end of the year, I think one of the crucial factors will be whether any of the leadership contenders can really put themselves forward as a as put put a serious campaign forward and an alternative policy vision um, to Johnson's. Um, I think, you know, he's going to get, I mean, it's going to be an, an annihilation into by-elections later this month. That'll add further pressure, um, perhaps further scandals, revelations. Um, people will be reminded over the Christmas period about his, uh, his, his drinking and his karaoke um, a couple of years earlier. So, yeah, we may be in for a, a Christmas um, Tory extravaganza. Um, leadership election. Okay, we shall see. I'm just trying to get to the. Uh, I've had a little bit of problem getting people to join the conversation tonight. I'm not quite sure why. Should we give it one more go? Should we, Cheryl? I'm going to add you as a speaker, and let's see if we can get some some callers on. Because I know a lot of people, including the Birmingham MP Steve McCabe, have been keen to join us, and we haven't been able to get them on. Uh, Cheryl, can you uh, join us? Hello. Just tap your tap your microphone in the bottom left hand of your screen, Cheryl. Right, is that working? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I've already tweeted. Um, My opinion, basically, is he should go. Um, I, like some others, don't think he will. Um, And I think the media will play a part in it. And if there's enough will of the people and enough people are expressing the dissatisfaction, which I think they already have, then he should step down. It's as simple as that. To me, if somebody, if, you know, if the percentage it was should tell him that there's no confidence there, who would want to stay? Who's he going to trust off his own backbenchers? Who's he going to trust? Nobody. Yeah, well, that was quite a staggering figure from Rory Stewart, taking away all the people whose jobs are reliant on Boris Johnson. Yeah. You've got 75% of his backbenchers against him. I mean... 
you'd be a you'd you, you wouldn't sleep easily. Well, would you, you would you sleep of... with your eyes open or closed? <laughs> is the question. I certainly wouldn't want to sleep with my eyes closed, knowing that that was against you. Who would? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And I work in finance, and all I am seeing and the role I'm in is people are struggling, and people who normally wouldn't, and it's the hiking prices that are causing it. People are having to ask for borrowing they've never had to before. Um, people are struggling. People who are hardworking people who who shouldn't have to be in that situation. It's ridiculous. The sooner we get them out, the better. Uh, Cheryl, thanks very much indeed for joining in on uh, Byline Radio. Uh, let's speak to Cathy. Hello, Cathy. Cathy's on Byline Radio. Hello, Cathy. Hi, guys. A <laughs> um, <clears throat> couple of things, really. Um, Boris Johnson, yeah, I mean, it, it always worries me about um you know the what what they call the the lunatic fringe you know the the really sort of like libertarian right that have had the um well had them by the balls for a long time quite frankly but i'm always wary of that lot and the motivation for which way they vote and whether they've got somebody lined up um which they always keep close to their chest but that's just one thing the other thing i'm concerned about is does anybody know the figure of the people that were um, allowed to vote today that were um, sort of, uh, well, were under investigation really for sexual assault or rape? Anybody I mean, know? I, I don't think there was any exclusion. I mean, unless, you know, if you were an MP, a Conservative MP, you were allowed to vote, uh, as I understand it. Yeah, there was. Yes, so there was the one um, Conservative MP who's currently under investigation for for rape who was allowed to, to vote with a proxy vote tonight, but they weren't excluded. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, do, does anybody have any thoughts on the on the um, on the on the fringe? You know, the libertarian knot that Steve Baker is part of, um, and uh, you know, we were talking about how 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 much they're dragging. Um, you know, call, call the factionalism within the party. Um, I'm just curious as to if everybody's aware of, um, you know, which side everybody's on within the party. If you see what I mean, and what we've got to mm. what we've got to be wary of in the future. Yes, well, I mean, this is the, one of the big questions for the rebels opposed to Boris Johnson is that it's not clear, unlike some of the sort of previous votes, who actually would inherit the party from him if, if and when he is forced out. Because uh, if you look at who is opposed, publicly opposed Johnson, there are a, a large uh, a portion of them from the libertarian wing of the party, Steve Baker, Mark Harper, etc. But there's also a, a lot of MPs on the sort of One Nation fringe of the party, so the, the, the more sort of centre-right wing of the party. So it's it's really an open question as to which way the party would jump if and when Boris Johnson um, leaves, which is which may be why some MPs who are not happy with Johnson didn't actually uh, vote against him tonight, because it's just so unclear about what exactly the future direction of the party will be once he once he leaves. Uh, let's, thank you, Cathy. Let's bring in uh, Dr. David. Hello, Dr. David. Welcome along. You're right. Hi, Adrian. Uh, really interesting conversation. I, I don't know if anyone's listening to the day programme this morning when Sajid Jabba was being interviewed. Now, I, I stood as a Liberal Democrat candidate against Sajid Jabba, and he repeated the falsehood about this 40 new hospitals stuff. 
And, you know, it's an example of how other ministers are being drawn into repeating things which are not true. This is a story that Private Eye called out as false uh, back in 2019. And indeed, the Sunday Times uh, covered this at the weekend. Uh, and, you know, just they're <laughs> a whole bunch of snakes, basically. They're all, you know, prepared to say anything uh, to keep their jobs. And it's uh, that, I think, is just scandalous. Even just the previous comment about, you know, libertarianism and rape in the same sentence is quite incredible. Yeah, you end up on that story about the 40 new hospitals, you do end up a little bit dancing on the head of a pin, don't you? Because the government argues that there will be rebuilds of some existing facilities, which amount to new hospitals. But obviously, if you say to the person on the street, we're building a new hospital in your area, they're imagining more than a new block or... A, a ward a unit <laughs> on an existing site. Absolutely, and and um, I mean a good example out in Birmingham. I mean, I, I work in Sandwell, and you know the the delays of the Midland Metropolitan Hospital. And I'm, I'm old enough to remember that was used to be called Project 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, the, um, on, on the the BBC did some inquiry into the 40 hospital. I did, I did hear that interview, and uh, the, the BBC's own research shows that uh, 34 trusts responded uh, to, to question about the new hospitals. Five said they were building a whole new hospital. Twelve said they were building new wings, and nine said that they were rebuilding existing hospital buildings now even if you are generous and you say that rebuilding existing hospital buildings might amount to a new hospital and you add that to the five that are really new that gets you to 14 but building a new wing is not a new hospital no, is it? it's, it's not a, you've got to have the staff to run it is the other thing David, thank you. Uh, let's bring in Graham. Hello, Graham. Welcome to Byline Radio. You're right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. My, my, my question is in five years' time, where do you think our political system will be at? Mm, big question. Go on. Tell me a bit more. Explore that a bit more yourself. Graham. No, 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 not at all. Not, not at all. I, I'm just generally curious because basically, Tories are ripping themselves apart. We've got no opposition. We, 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 we've got absolutely nobody, well, there, there isn't anyone, isn't there? So I'm just curious now, in five years' time, where we're going to be at. Mm. Go on, Jeevan. Do you want to have a go at that? <laughs> yeah, that'd be very bold and courageous on that. Um, look, I think it's fair to say that the Conservatives have, in one sense, lost the trust of British people. I think at this point, it's the odds on to lose the next election. In terms yeah. of the main opposition, Labour has to certainly do more work to win it at the moment, which I think Labour would be the largest party, but not get to a majority. Look yeah. at it slightly different though. All of the signs would kind of point to things getting worse and not better for the Conservatives and by extension, better for Labour as well. So in terms of like the possible set of outcomes, you know, a change in government is incredibly likely and whether or not that leads to a small Labour majority or not is, is unclear. And that's where I think we're going to end up in the next five years. And also, of course, a lot more tactical voting we'll see. There'll be a strong anti-Conservative vote. And then the Conservative Party will have to decide once again out of office what it is they stand for. Do they stand for levelling up the country and spending lots more money? Or do they stand for low taxes and low spending that people don't really want? And that's what they need to get their head around, I think. Thank you. I really, really appreciate you explaining that. I, I, honestly, thank you. 
Yeah. Sam, have you got a, a crystal ball out there? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> but my confident predict, my confident, not very confident prediction would be Labour in power propped up by a combination of possibly the Liberal Democrats and the SNP somehow, or purely the Liberal Democrats, and them getting torn apart by the right-wing press and not, as a result, not feeling confident to reform the constitution or the political system sufficiently um, to um, guard against any of these um, scandals happening again. That would be... Why, 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 why can't they? Um, because the conservative press will instinctively pull them towards the right. Um, the front page of the Daily Mail will be constantly blaming Starmer um, for not being right-wing enough. Um, and as a result, um, I have to say, I don't think Starmer's got the gumption to resist that trend. Um, it depends whether the Liberal Democrats, if they were in coalition, whether they'd be forceful enough to insist on a reform to the voting system, for example, reforms to the House of Lords. But we saw last time that they were in coalition, they weren't particularly forceful with the Conservatives. No, so, no, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So it, would be, it would be very interesting to see how that yeah. coalition dynamic might might play out with Labour, potentially. Yeah. It's also, Graham, I would just, uh, I would just observe, Graham, that... Uh, sorry, sorry, I don't mean to, I don't just mean to bat in, but carry on, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say that the system allows a huge amount of scope and discretion for whoever yes. is out yes. at a yes. big time. And parties which feel aggrieved when they're in opposition, yeah. when they're in power, think, oh, this is quite handy. And it gives them a, a free hand to pretty much act as they want if they've got a large majority. Certainly that was the example, you know, under Blair's premiership in his in his early years under Labour. So I think... You know, the reform that talks about is needed, yeah. but you know, whether it's going to come, yeah. I don't know. Uh, let, let me bring in Mike Goldsworthy. Mike's, uh, Mike's, amongst other many talents, has developed the rather wonderful Bylines app. We haven't quite managed to get the Byline Times podcast on it yet, but that's a work in progress. But yeah, it's there. It is, it, it is there. there. Yeah, it? Sorry, I, I didn't tell you Amazing. that. That came back yesterday, um, and it's all checked out, and it's all there. Yeah. Oh man! So for everyone listening, if you want to, if you've got an iPhone, go to the Apple App Store and you can get their bylines, which is highly rated. And um, yeah, in its first week of release, it was at the number one spot for for a full week. Anyway, um, to also oh, no, just follow to, up sorry, on, sorry, Mike, just to explain to people, I mean that 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 is your one stop shop for everything bylines. Yes. If you want to read Byline Times, if you want to read the local Bylines Network, which you've been very instrumental in developing, if you want to listen to the podcast, they're all there on the app. And it's a brilliant, really simple app. Android. Available, currently available on <laughs> yeah, I hear you, Graham. Yes, don't, don't <laughs> worry. Sorry. I was just going to say Android, please. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, we, we, we absolutely are developing it. And... Um, you know, we're trying to get on the case with, with everything. But yes, there's a whole sea of people um, demanding the Android one. So so many thousands have downloaded the Apple one, and we're aware that there are many, many more thousands, which we should probably actually have a, a sign-up list for people who are waiting on news of that, but we haven't got around to sorting that out yet. But it will be coming. Anyway, before 
I, I lose the thread on all of this. I also want to follow up on what Graham asked and what Sam was saying, which is um, I think that's exactly where the battle's going to be. Um, it's going to be whether Labour can make, so politics in five years' time, presuming, and this is a big presumption, that the Tories fall apart and, and Labour can come to power either in their own right or as part of a coalition, the big um, thing will then be, do we have a reformation of our democratic system in order to make it more similar to proportional representation, in order to have some fixes so that it is not a uh, first-past-the-post system? And I think Sam's absolutely right that this is what the right-wing press will extremely um, rail against and try every trick in the book to prevent, they're already panicking about it now, as you can see in many um, commentary coming out of the right wing, that their, their fear is that with Boris Johnson, without Boris Johnson, what happens at the next election is that the progressive forces together come in on a new understanding and rewire the political system to paint the conservatives out of it for a good long time, um, that is that is their abject fear. So I think the um, as, as Sam pointed out, the real dynamic um, comes down to whether Labour get into power by themselves, in which case they might rather like it and might see no reason to change the system because they get to call all the shots without her. And Labour's not very good at collaborating with other parties anyway, traditionally. But if they do come into power with the Liberal Democrats, that could be a fundamental demand, both from the Liberal Democrats and also from within side Labour. Um, and then essentially you will have a government agenda that the right-wing press work extremely hard to derail, and the right-wing press and, and the Tory party would be trying to call foul on everything to do with it. Um, but I think that's where the dynamic is going broadly. God knows where and how it will, will, will settle around that. But I think those are the main uh, lines of attack from both sides. Okay, interesting stuff, Mike. Stay there, if you will. Um, who's, uh, I've got so many people lined up to chat now. Um, who's that? Maziz. Hello, Maziz. Welcome. Hello. Yeah. I was just wondering, can Labour see another election like they saw in 1997? like under Tony Blair. In which they won a, a thumping majority. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, mainly because they've lost Scotland. And I, I feel as though... So you've got the dynamic where the, the Conservatives are in power um, in Westminster. And as a result, um, the Scottish people want one of two things. They either want to vote for the SNP in perpetuity because they see the SNP as standing up for their uh, national interests more directly as opposed to Conservative rule in Westminster, or they vote for independence, in which case they're out of the Westminster system entirely. And that removes the, you know, the 59 seats, I think it is in, in Scotland that um, in the, you know, in 97 and after were solidly Labour um, and now we're solidly SNP. But either way, that, that, that body support isn't coming back to the Labour Party. And I think that's a really, that's a really large constituency of support um, that Labour's simply not going to get um, to rekindle any of those past electoral successes. What about you, Maz? Is, is that something that you want? 
no i should know i wouldn't mind uh like labor to see, uh, like see them succeed like they did in 1997 but i don't see that ever happening again especially with them um, smp you know in the last what decade they've seen them seen them succeed quite a lot in scotland i don't see labor ever gaining as much seats as they did back then yeah oh. sam that would you know make the argument and mike's talked about proportional representation from labor's point of view if you if you take scotland out of the equation which for you know in the near future anyway i think we have to if we're being realistic about mm. it you then have this kind of historical inbuilt conservative majority around the south of England. So the conservatives don't need to win that many seats beyond that to be in sight of a, an overall majority. So you know, Labour kind of, I think, clings, a lot of people in the Labour Party cling to this idea of themselves winning an outright majority. And it, it's not out of the question. You never say never mm. in politics. But if, if you're looking at it rationally... Argue that Labour's interests are perhaps best served by supporting PR. Well, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that's. Um, I think Mike, Mike would certainly say that is the big political battle um, on the progressive wing of politics over the next few years is convincing enough um, Labour MPs that that is the direction that they need to take. That it is about a progressive majority, not simply uh, the Labour Party um, as the sole vehicle. Um, for progressive politics. Um, I mean, you've just got to look at the recent by-election results, particularly in the uh, in the South, to see that Labour's not capable of winning that sort of majority um, you know, without winning Scotland. I mean, Tiverton, for example, which I referenced earlier, uh, Labour finished second um, in the 2019 general election in that constituency. But uh, the Liberal Democrats look like they're going to take that seat. Um, and th- those are the sort of the constituencies that Labour really needs to win over if it wants to to rule outright. And there's 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 a real cultural disconnect between the South of England and Labour that um, any party leader would. Oh, you've dropped off there, Sam. I'm not quite sure why. Accidentally muted himself, unless I did it. It's very possible. Uh, Hannah joins us. Hannah, I think your Twitter handle says that you are a Labour activist. Is that right? Just tap the microphone, Hannah. Hello, Hannah. You there? Yes. You muted us. How you oh, put was it us me? In. It was, was you. It was you, Adrian. It was you. You so censored I think so. me. A message popped up a bit later saying everyone is now muted. Oh, so- it was glorious to hear my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, apologies, Sam. Go I'll, I'll bring you in in a moment, Hannah. Sam, you're in, you're in your pomp and your full flow. Uh, Thank you, Yana. I was, I was just going to say that it would, um, it would take a lot for any Labour Party leader to be able to, um, to change that cultural disconnect between the party and the South, um, regardless of Starmer's problems in the Red Wall as well. I think it's, yeah. a, it's an impossible task, so they have to rely on the Liberal Democrats. Uh, Hannah, go on, come in. Um, yes, you asked if I was. Yes, I am a Labour activist, but to be quite honest, um, I do not want Boris Johnson to be voted out today. And the reason, mm. yeah, I don't think it's going to do. Um, okay, I'm just being selfish, but I think it's not going to do us any good, any favors. Uh, if he's still there until uh, next election, maybe we might have a chance. Uh, in the meantime, maybe Earth's getting rid of Keir Starmer. 
uh, probably uh, having another uh, stronger uh, leader uh, for Labour Party. But if uh, Boris Johnson gets to leave now, um, it's uh, people are very forgetful. Uh, but as long as his face is still there, um, everything that he's done or Tories have done uh, will still be fresh in people's mind. So for me, I don't think uh, this vote of no confidence um, should get rid of uh, Boris Johnson. I hope he that they do not uh, get there. I hope uh, he stays. Even if uh, uh, his, uh, what do we call it, front benches, some of them are, are very few of them are supporting him, but um, I hope he stays and he he clings on. I don't want him to stay with a big majority that, you know, like a big slide, but I want him to stay with a very slim chance, you know, showing that, yes, people are fed up with him. Yeah, yeah. So you think he, he's an electoral asset for the Labour Party? He is an electoral asset for the Labour Party. And, but, Hannah, you, you don't think Keir Starmer is an electoral asset for Labour. No, I think uh, we, whoever voted Kirsten, I didn't vote for him, to be quite honest, and many of us did not. But um, he's tried his best at the moment, what people are saying. He's uh, a little bit different from um, at the beginning uh, when he was uh, chosen as a, a Labour Party leader. But then I think there's a lot of things that he could be doing better. And I think... Uh, I think he's holding back Labour. People were saying Jeremy Corbyn was hopeless, but I think uh, Jeremy Corbyn, the problem with him was that he did not have a good momentum with with uh, the media. I think the media was the problem, and nobody expected him to be uh, from uh, you know a backbencher uh, for 30 years, and nobody expected that he would last that long, let alone that he would be chosen as a leader of uh, Labour Party. It was kind of a joke. And when he was chosen, it was about his clothing. It was about this. It was about that. So I think the most damage was done by, I think, the media. That's what I think. Anna, Anna this, this is not the, the moment to debate Jeremy Corbyn's leadership. <laughs> but I mean, the reality is that, that he's not going to be the Labour Party leader again. No, no, no. So, That's a, what, what I'm, where I'm going with it is I'm trying to compare the two, whereby somebody like Keir Starmer had not had that bashing from the media, but then still yeah, he yeah. is not doing a good job. So that's the comparison where I'm going with no, no, I don't, and I'm, I don't mean to criticise you. I'm just, I'm just kind of to move the conversation on and say, if, you know, if it was not Keir Starmer, is there somebody on the Labour front bench or even on the back benches who you think could reach out to the electorate more powerfully than Keir Starmer is at the moment? Uh, there's quite few, but uh, again, uh, it's all debatable. But uh, Keir Starmer could also improve. He could pick up, uh, uh, you know lift himself from where he is um, do few things maybe uh, to pull more people in because we as Labour Party are losing more voters, they're losing uh, members, forget about voters we're losing a lot of members at the moment uh, because of Keir Starmer so yeah Okay, uh, I should just apologise by both to both uh, Prakash and Farahone who have been trying to join the conversation for reasons that escape me, and it isn't because I've muted you. Uh, I'm not able to get you to join the conversation, so my apologies to you. And I'm trying to add as many people as I possibly can, uh, but there are occasional problems uh, with that, so I'm not I'm not quite sure why. Um, Juven, let me ask you about Keir Starmer. I mean, is is there a Labour potential leader? in waiting somewhere in the wings? 
I don't see any kind of movement in that direction from the Labour Party. I think also, I mean, think of where Labour was at the end of the last election. You know, the greatest loss for almost a century, a swing of 1997 to get to a majority of one. If someone had told you in 2019 in the morning of that particular result, by the way, give it two more years and Labour will be leading the polls, the largest party, possibly outside, uh, probably on like a road towards at least the right direction towards the majority. People would have laughed you out of the room. They would have said that's a two-term project. Boris Johnson's got an 80-seat majority. You know, I think like a constant theme out of tonight is kind of look at the numbers. I look at where those numbers have gone in the past kind of, you know, couple of years. I think certainly a more compelling story about what Britain needs to be, where it should be going, is something that I think the Labour leadership should be pushing forward. But I think the idea that alternatives would be on the table at this point is... is um, It'd be like a strange time to, you know, it's just like a slightly bizarre time to kind of think about this. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the numbers, Labour in that sense is doing well, even though I know there are many people on the left, many people in the Labour Party who think they could be doing better. If you look at it hard, the progress from 2019, the trajectory has been positive. What's your take on Starmer, Sam? I don't want to talk too much about it because we're talking about Johnson, really. But do you think that Labour could do more to hold Johnson to account or is Starmer doing an okay job? Um, I think holding Johnson to account on integrity, um, Starmer's been pretty good, particularly in the Commons. I've actually been struck in recent weeks by... Um, his rhetoric, by the strength of Starmer's rhetoric and how far he's been willing to go and reflective actually of a lot of what we've been writing about um, on Byline Times in, in in recent months. So, you know, he is he is willing to, um, to really go after Johnson and Johnson's character as well. I think mean, he's talked a lot about Johnson's background and how that's shaped him as an individual and has, um, has determined his immorality. I think Starmer's big thing, I think, is, uh, and you get you get this inkling when you read the newspapers and hear what people inside the Labour camp are saying, that he's just not bold enough. Uh, he's not courageous enough. He needs to really, and I think this stems back to his vision of the country, what sort of politician does he want to be? Does he have that political antennae that Blair and Alistair Campbell did, for example, in reading the mood of the nation and knowing how to how to profit from that politically, he clearly doesn't. And either he's got to improve very quickly, or he's got to recognise and um, that he needs people in his team, um, you know, the next generation of Alistair Campbells, etc., to to be able to 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 bolster his operation and to give him those tools and to listen to them. Um, and I think that's that's the missing puzzle piece, really, at the minute. And um, he's going to find that agenda. You know, I don't think he needs a full manifesto. I don't. I mean, he's coming up against Boris Johnson, who's got no agenda whatsoever. So he doesn't need to offer, you know, reams and reams. But he does need to have something that's compelling that he can sell to the nation in slogans and in practical inspiring optimistic hopeful terms that win back those key constituencies and we're not quite we're not quite there yet i don't think okay uh, john carthy hello john i'm sure there are others in the queue ahead of me um I'm, i'll mention something about starmer at the end of this if i may um i'm a labor party member uh and i'll, I'll mention that when i when i speak about starmer um 
look, the, the major force in, 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 I was going to say in English politics, in UK politics is English nationalism. How does Labour cope with that? Well, it is not going to win a majority at the next election. How does it fight that election? I'm not too sure. I suspect the Tories might go back to 2015 with Ed Miliband in Salmon's top pocket or run sort of line anyway. So regardless of about he will govern with a minority government, by a minority government, we'll have to see how that pans out. Whether there can be an electoral pact, who knows? And how that will work, I don't know. For Labour, that might be disastrous, but we'll have to wait and see. I'm not a great Starmer fan, I have to say. And uh, can I also say, I think the Scottish Tories are a more intense fight than their brothers in the South. I think both the Scottish leader and Andy Bowie voted against Johnson this evening, they realise there is an electoral liability there, even more of an electoral liability there. He won't be in safe southern seats, but there we go. Starmer, Starmer's great strength is the House of Commons. He is too excellent in the House of Commons. As I say, I'm not a great fan, but credit where credit's due. He can command the House of Commons. His arguments are very clear. Uh, people know where he stands, but the House of Commons, let's be honest, is for political geeks. Beyond the House of Commons, I know it's an oft-used word, he is dull, and that front bench is dull. Where is the passion in the Labour Party? Where is it? That's that's my greatest regret about this Labour leadership. It's dull, it lacks passion. And I think as a consequence of those two things, its message to the country is going to be less effective than it would otherwise be. John, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thanks also to Jeevan Sander, who's an economist and political commentator at King's College London. Jeevan, thank you so much for taking part tonight. It's been really, really good to hear from you. Thanks to Adam Bienkoff from Byline Times, our political and Westminster correspondent. Thank you to Mike Goldsworthy. Do check out his Bylines app, available via the Apple Store, but soon to come on Android. And thank you to Sam Bright, who is the investigations editor of Byline Times, but also has a book out now called Fortress London. Thank you very much indeed, Sam. See you soon. And um, don't forget, please, if you want to support this kind of radio or this kind of podcasting, Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, please take out a subscription to the Byline Times. It's a great read. It's a traditional newspaper, a monthly newspaper, edited by our wonderful colleague, Hardeep Matharu. And it has exclusive content that you're going to get anywhere else in the newspaper. And you can find out how to subscribe at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you all again soon. Stay tuned to at Byline Radio on Twitter to find out when we're next going to be live. And thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. See you soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.